0: we
1: And welcome to Sonic Talk number 369. Yes, um, I don't know what that means. It just means there's no there's no numerology there. We haven't got Mark here to tell us, but it sounds like a big number, and indeed it jolly well is, and uh, almost as big as the number in terms of temperature as it is in the office at the moment. I don't know if you're aware, if you're not in the UK, but wherever you are in the world, you may be having similar sweltering hot conditions. In fact, uh, summer nam was last week, and I think it was actually hotter here and more humid. But only at 4 o'clock in the morning, so I suppose it's not quite uh, perfect. But anyway, welcome to Sonic Talk. Uh, remember, if you're interested in this, this, is the first time perhaps you've seen it, you might want to subscribe to us on YouTube because YouTube is where we post all of our video content and there is a lot of it besides our fabulous Sonic Talk. Uh, Sonic Talk is brought to you by Isotope and Isotope will in fact be announcing the winner of another competition this week. That's right, you can win Brake Tweaker. Uh, we have the draw from last week's show, so there will be a lucky recipient of Break Tweaker and you can win another one. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's get back to our guests because uh, that's what the show's all about. I'm going to start with Rich Hilton because I haven't seen him for a while. Rich, how are you? Rich, of course, is Chic band member and also uh, Nile Rogers studio guy. You're looking very svelte, Rich. Have you had a haircut or you lost weight? I can't figure out which it is. Maybe both.
0: Oh, let's go with both. Okay, great. <laughs> it must be the summer. It's your summer look, right? Yeah, I guess so. How are you? It's all an illusion. It's all done with mirrors.
1: (laughs) Excellent. So you've been out on the road and what have you, right? You've been all over the place.
0: Yeah, been. uh, there's a whole lot of back and forth going on in my life these days with continents. And um, it's it's not quite as uh, continuous as the last two years where we would go and hang out for six weeks in Europe and the UK and do all that. Um, This tends to be more the down and back two and three gig run type stuff and uh it's been going really well you're sounding very well received
1: excellent you're you're sounding very good here i guess it's because it's the summer we are in full swing summer and chic
0: in the summer it's disco party music love right people do love this music right now it's thank goodness it's unbelievable uh there's just been a video posted of us playing the uh north sea jazz festival in rotterdam last week cool in its entirety so if you have got, if you feel like dancing in your chair, how about it?
1: <laughs> I might wait till it's a bit cooler. I'm too far away from the air conditioning unit, which is way over there at the moment. But uh, because I'm using a dynamic mic, you probably can't hear that. Well, at least I hope not. Anyway, but Rich, of course, we always welcome you. And thank you for uh, making time in your schedule. I'm sure you've probably got undergarments to wash or all of those things that you have to do between gigs. So thank you very much. <laughs>
0: My pleasure. I enjoy
1: it. <laughs> and we'll take a look. There, there looks. There Dave Spears caught a bit of sun and everything. How's that possible? Uh, how are you, Dave? In yeah, your synth okay, cave? You. Dave Spears, of course. I, have, I forgot to introduce you. I just said you'd caught the sun. Dave Spears, G4 Software, makers of fine software instruments uh, and collector of synthesizers. You can probably just about see, I think that's an Oberheim 8-voice top cabinet just behind his shoulders there. Yeah. Good shot, Shot. I should know what it is by now, really, shouldn't I? I see it regularly enough. Anyway, how have you been, Dave? Are you
2: well? I'm all right, yeah. I shouldn't moan about the heat, but I will. <laughs> no. I How should... It's just all the fans are just kind of going mental. And yesterday I had a day where the CS80 was on, the 8 Voice was on, the JP8 was on, the profit 5 was on, the Pro 1 was on, the Modular was on, and it was just almost unbearable.
1: You need to get an air conditioning unit.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe someday soon
1: anything broken down though because I mean that's what's happening here because we've just recently refurbished our rack and kind of tidied up the cable and the power supply and created a few more spaces for it and I switched it all on again uh, today um and everything went wrong and you know it was first first of all the power supply went on this camera whenever i plugged the power supply and the video signal wouldn't come so i had to hunt right that took a while to debug then i've been having a trouble with uh, with a, some sort of url interception virus on the streaming pc and i tried to clear that and it's it got rid of my streaming software so i had to reinstall that then when i booted up all the individual skype accounts that you're on it said oh i'm sorry i can't sign you into skype you need to upgrade skype first we won't let you sign in it's so like this is about five to four, so yeah it's been one of those days, but it's I think it's going to hold for now, so I'm glad Robbie bronneman is there in rob robot Studios um in between his uh festival gigs and all his other music composition, music production, and all the other kind of stuff um working with Howard Jones on the road. How are you, Robbie? Any of your stuff broken down in the heat?
3: no, it's all been good i've um but I've been in the studio the last few days, and it's just been, like you say, it's a bit. I mean, I've got air conditioning, but it's one of those ones you stick the thing out the window, and it just sounds like a wind tunnel, and I just can't deal with it for too long. <laughs>
1: That's what I've got here. Yeah,
3: you know, it's, I can put it on for like ten minutes, and then and then kind of live with it for about an hour, and now to keep putting it on and off, so it's tricky, yeah.
1: isn't it? I don't know because I'm, I'm beginning to realise. Decent quality air conditioning. I mean, the Americans exactly. are probably... It's expensive. And the thing is, in the UK, most of the time, it's entirely the opposite. Like, the gear keeps you warm rather than keeps you too yeah. hot. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot. There must be a way. I'm trying to figure out a way because we've got this portable one. I'd like to figure out a way that we can pipe a bit more into the other part of the office because Andy's in there and it's really hot in there as well. So, we've got one unit... That's just sort of heating this massive, cooling this massive space, but only just, because this, I'm I'm sure I've moaned about this before because it was hot last week, that this is a flat roof up here, and the sun comes down on it all day, and then it just radiates down (laughs) into the space, so it gets more and more hotter, like... Wow. But it's great. It's summer. It's fantastic. It's 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 good. all it's good. The downside of it being summer, of course, is um, the news is rather thin on the ground. Everybody kind of goes, you know what, let's wait until the autumn or let's run up to Christmas. So there's much less around. So we're, we'll, we'll be riffing it a little bit this week, but I'm sure nobody minds because... Um, uh, we got, got such golden greats as uh, Mark Tinley's Crow story, if uh, Dave was here for that one, which is awesome. Um, that, well, I'm going to have to ask Mark a bit more about that when he's on again next. Um, you'll just have a teaser. That was uh, Sonic Talk 367, I believe. Or maybe it was last week. I can't remember. I'm, I'm losing my mind. Anyway, um, well, let's start with um, the first topic because uh, I have one here. This is uh, Klaus Schultz performing in Cologne in 1977. The first thing you notice about this is uh, how very hippie it is. He's sitting on the floor on a uh, on a rug. <laughs> but what we've got here are mirrors overhead, which is so Jean-Michel Jarre. This is called for Barry Graves. I don't know who Barry Graves is. sounds like... Look, there he is. As we, as we pan out, there he is in front of his wall of modular stuff. It's an astonishing collection of uh, Moog... Lots of, there's some micro there's a big system-mog, there's some EMS, there's an ARP Odyssey to his right, which is the white one. I think there's a polymog on the floor. You know, if I was his chiropractor, I'd say that's a really poor posture for playing any kind of music, because you're going to be bent down the whole time, he'd do his neck in. But here we go, and this this is uh, the whole concert is actually quite long. It's well worth watching, actually, if you can get. And it just struck me when I, when I saw this because I thought, as I said, I was sort of scrabbling around a bit for this week's topic. But I thought I don't really know all that much about Klaus Schultz. I don't know that. I'm wondering whether I, I know that um, Dave Robinson, who's uh, sometimes guest on the show, is a really big fan of Tangerine Dream and knows about all of those guys. But I don't really um, have any inkling. D- Rich, you're looking kind of eager to perhaps put me right klaus schultz so are you, are you aware of
0: you aware are you aware of this man's work <laughs> since the early 70s i'm aware of this man's work although i have to admit he's sort of dropped off my radar by the oh i don't know late 70s but um yeah absolutely aware of his work so what and what... enjoyed by the way very much enjoyed watching this clip and i thought some of it was really really good yeah. Really enjoyed it. I mean it starts out very, very kind of
1: um dissonant and ambient and what have you, and then gradually get we get into the sort of more sequenced, um uh, maybe more palette, you know, more recognizable kind of Well electronic.
0: the funniest thing about me and Klaus Schultz is the farther he is from diatonic harmony, the happier I am. Okay
1: wasn't he one of the
0: pioneers of music concrete and tape and what have you as well and he's got hasn't he I'm sure about the pioneers of that no he came 10 15 years after the pioneers of that but a popularist then perhaps. he was an earlier an early adopter of monophonic synths and using organs in tape delays and you know creating more ambient textures as a solo performer and he was in that early genre of German school with Tangerine Dream and those people. I mean, it all appeared in, at least in my life around the same time. And uh, like I said, I think a lot of what he does is very interesting, but most of it doesn't have to do with playing melody. Right? Did it? Am I am I right in thinking that he also um,
1: pioneered a, a, a method for scoring electronic music? I remember I've just got this memory of seeing. Um, these scores of his, which has this sort of very specific and quite unique way of uh, of writing it down, or am I? Oh, that's Stockhausen,
0: isn't it? God,
1: that just shows you how uh, how how broad yeah, was, how broad my misunderstanding of German electronic music is. That was Stockhausen. I wasn't
0: aware of Klaus Schulz doing anything. No,
1: like it's that. Stockhausen, isn't it? I'm getting now. I'm getting. I'm really, uh, If I if I could go any redder, I which I can't because it's already so hot in here. I would you be seeing me? having a real burn on there. Um, Cla- <laughs> Cla- yeah, Stockhausen. and Stockhausen, of course, also pioneered the I, the music concrete. That shows you how little research I've done and how little I know about Klaus Schultz. <laughs> Dave, help me out here. Do you know anything about him?
2: <laughs> Not really. Uh, no. <laughs> Other than the yeah. Tangerine Dream stuff. I'm sorry, I can't be a huge help. I do. I did meet him a couple of times. He emailed us after we did Oddity. Uh, and then I met him at... Frankfurt one of the Frankfurt shows and I've got a feeling he went on and did some stuff with was that company verse thing verse ah Versin. yeah they do yeah. Well, yeah. that's right yeah
3: nice we'll reverb see. they do
1: and some and some and some um do they do some vocal
3: yeah uh, a vocal, vocal thing vocal thing vocal thing yeah
1: ah tangerine dream again i 'm not really uh very au fait with tangerine dream, but what i I did mm. find was quite interesting is if you look at the dates if you check out his Wikipedia entry, if you sort of uh bother to read any of it which i haven 't read very much I ch- checked the date and it was their their um careers his and John Michel Jards are almost completely parallel and in fact you know using many of the same instruments, and I wonder whether they sort of developed. Separately in a vacuum, or were were one of those kind of groups of artists that kind of influence each other and kind of go right. My album's going to have a bit, and I I don't know about that. But I mean, Dave, you probably know a bit more about maybe that side of it, right? He said hopefully.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, not really. I kind of, I sort of flirted with a lot of those kind of mid seventies tangerine tangerine album. I mean, but it was interesting because at the time I was looking for something. I hate to use this word. A bit more. It's kind of exciting, whereas it was. Dreaming. I do. Yeah, and I do love it now. I do love that how the the sequencer, the whole modular sequencer vibe, and I've kind of fed off of that years later. But at the time, as a kind of youngster, I wanted something with a bit more, um, a bit more aggression. One, three,
1: five, and a bit less
2: (sighs) soporific, basically.
1: Yes, I, I think I know what you mean.
3: Uh, uh, uh there is an, um Robbie are you familiar with much of the tangerine dream stuff i mean uh, again well I, I mean one of my favorite bits of electronic music is the tangerine dream track it's quite a late one it's called love on a real train from the risky business soundtrack um it's a great piece uh, not not also helped by the fact there's tom cruise Getting it on with what Rebecca de Mornay on a train, but that's irrelevant. That's nothing to do with it. It's actually <laughs> so co- to do the, with the, the actual uh, music uh, itself. The combination of crazy.
1: Wet Dreams, modular <laughs> synthesizers, yeah. and Rebecca de Mornay. And, uh-huh.
3: and it was a, it's a good piece, Love on a Real Train. I don't, but I don't know a lot of their stuff. Um, and the, I, the only thing I remember about Klaus Schultz is seeing over the years various articles. I remember seeing one about ten years ago when he had like this massive wall behind him of like um, quasi MIDI stuff. Mm. Yeah, had like about 20 of these Rat Mount Quasi-Midi things. I don't know if they were Rat Mount Ravens or something. I don't know. But I've, I've, that, that's definitely not a good trade-in for the Moog, I don't think.
1: I wonder. Let's have a look. Um that, I see if I can find that picture of Klaus Schultz. Ah, there is, in fact, there's a 309 Groovex rare Klaus Schultz limited edition for sale in London. Uh, but I do have, uh, if I can play this, I, I mean, in the I wasn't busted last week. I'm going to try no, it again. Try this, and
3: play a little bit of this piece. That's great. This is "Love
1: on a Real Train," and uh, there's the video. There's no Rebecca De Mornay in that. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to say I wouldn't want to be uh, busted for any sort of uh, improper broadcasting, oh, other oh, than. Yeah. So again, yeah, it's, it's got that sort of pedal uh, sostenuato kind of sequencer sort of stuff. Does that, is that is that something that's kind of uh, current through a lot of the Tangerine Clash, Schultz
0: kind of thing? Yeah, yeah quite often. Yeah. Quite often. Nick, in the his, in the interest of historical accuracy, <laughs> Kraushels was the drummer in Tangerine Dream in 1969 and wasn't uh, back when Edgar Froese was the guitar player. Ah. And um, he wasn't involved in any of the 70s-era trio synth Tangerine Dream recordings. Ah, right,
1: so he was more solo... Uh from then on, okay. Right,
0: but one, no, no, actually one of the most interesting things he did was appear in a band called Go that was put together by a Japanese percussionist named Stomu Yumashita oh, yeah, I and included him. Steve Winwood, Aldi Miola and various other illuminaries and uh, was actually quite a interesting cross-cultural, cross-style kind of project.
1: I remember Stamu uh, uh, Yamashita. He did. There were a couple of albums of his out. Actually, I'm just seeing if I can find some recent pictures. It's, uh, that looks like a relatively recent picture of uh, of
3: Mister Schulz. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. That picture.
1: That's quite a nice looking. Uh, and he's got set- all those
3: qu- quasi MIDI stuff behind. Oh, him. Oh yeah,
1: I see what you mean. It's, it's,
3: he had like loads of them. He had like about literally. Yeah, that's his yeah. live rig. I remember seeing that. He had like about sixteen of them.
1: And he's got a JP uh, eight. Thousand there like J- a JD, J-D- so JDA yeah, 100. 100. A JD and a, and a, a synth AKS. the AKS which is the yeah. my, that's that's the synth I will get one day before before it's too late and what looks
0: like a Korg MS two thousand there Just well he was using call. an AKS in that video that we uh, looked at yeah uh, to prepare for the show at some point that's a right motley uh, crew
3: of stuff in
1: it it is it's an interesting meld of digital and analog. I wonder how he got on because I mean interfacing all that stuff together must have been an absolute nightmare back in the day yeah absolutely I mean
0: those, those guys pushed rocks uphill
1: I wonder Big if that, I, I mean you could imagine that he was probably maybe he was involved in some way in the designing aspect of the Quasimidi stuff, which is why he's or maybe involved in the company because I mean presumably guys who are pioneering back then are it, it, undoubtedly going to be specifying or dreaming up pieces of equipment that they need for this all to to kind of work together and that's that's a great position to be in right to, to be nice able to have, to have po- a job nice to have. <laughs> well i mean a lot of that stuff you kind of get asked what you like i don't know i mean do you have you ever found that you've had been in that situation where you've kind of thought i need a piece of equipment that does this and then somebody's built it and you've gone great and then you've used it just to go i'm going on a tangent because i can't think of anything else in my up. own
0: in my own life it always appears about 25 years later but yes
1: ah well that's good But far too late. (laughs) That's (laughs) how far ahead
0: of the curve you are, Rich. (laughs) I've already found workarounds, you know, five different times for five different pieces of equipment for it already, you know. So it's cool that it does not like that now. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, guess,
1: Dave, you've probably actually built stuff. I mean, because there was your, uh, um, what was the name of the control, the Fatboy Controller? I mean, that was a sort of, we need one of those, so you did it. Have you influenced any other kind of hardware manufacturer, do you think? Or no? I
2: don't know. I don't know. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. No, I mean, most of our stuff comes from either working with an artist or to, and then coming back and kind of going, oh, what really handy would have been one of those or something like this. Or, you know, trying to keep something that's dying alive in yeah. another form or trying to just introduce that kind of sound to another generation. I think that's the kind of main... Yeah, yeah. That's the oh, kind well, that's a- thing. But I mean, the fat boy was really fascinating because actually that that started, I'd done a really a set of MIDI files, which were NRPN templates that you could dump into Cubase and layer over your, you know, cord or whatever you were doing. And uh, then there was a kind of subsequent discussion of, you know, surely it's not rocket science to put it <laughs> in a box with <laughs> knobs on. There, there you are. go. Look at that.
1: Oh, and you did the templates thing, didn't you? You did the kind of overlays.
2: Yeah, I've still got I've got serial number one here somewhere. Oh, I found it the other good day. For you. And we did a few Bum- little, you know, special editions, blues and reds and stuff like that. And we were gonna do a big deal with EMU. Oh, there was all sorts of things that were bubbling under.
1: Mm. So what's the um I want to ask you, was Fatboy in any way um related to Mr. Slim? Or is it just happened to be the zeitgeist? The name of it?
2: No, but what was funny is Dale, my brother-in-law, was in Freak Power, which was obviously Norman Cook's band at the time. And there was a brilliant uh, interview he did with, uh, I think it might have been Future Music Magazine or something like that. actually. He used an SC80, a Roland SC-88 Pro, which was the kind of, that and the SC-55 was a sort of real idea behind, that's what gave us the idea. And uh, he was there kind of holding it up in his studio with the 950 behind him and the what I, I spoke to him a couple of times about doing you know fat boy fat boy slim but obviously he didn't really want to do the whole uh, <laughs> gear horse route
1: no I suppose not uh, which but, is fair fair enough uh, I know, Robbie, how about you? I mean, I'm, I'm suspecting, you know, because you kind of construct quite a lot of, and dream up things for, for making the live production of the stuff that you do with Howard Jones a reality. Uh, has any of that kind of uh, intuiti- intuition and intuitiveness made, it way into, made its way into production?
3: No, I've always, I'm always coming up with hairbrain ideas, and so is the Howard and stuff, but he, the reality of it is, is you know, usually the, the costing involved in doing something relatively simple it's just off the scale. I mean, like, the other week we were saying, oh, let's get our Simmons pads, let's get them, let's get them made in, in like, a, in an opaque acrylic and have LED lighting fitted so they can, they can light up every time you hit them. But like, we looked into it, like, just the moulding, just to get a mould done, to, to mould some acrylic in that shape, was just, like, like £10,000 or something. <laughs> oh. To machine it up to make four pads. You need to get yeah. you should buy a 3D printer. Yeah, yeah. That probably. Be... I am amused by the chat room where it said Dave isn't Dave responsible for the D beam? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it was named after me, Dave Beam.
3: <laughs> the Dave Beam. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> it was
2: originally going to, be they, say, we to thing, they were going to call it the Light Spears. Oh, thank <laughs> you very much. Hey, I'm going to call my daughter broccoli, or if <laughs> it was a boy, shake.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was apparently going to be called Acro. But, uh, or, uh. But, but, but I wasn't, fortunately. I remember when I uh, first started out in um, programming. Uh, what happened there, then? I seem to have lost I my... Know. I don't know. That's an interesting concept. There it is. There, I'm back. Yeah. Uh, when I first started out I um, with Atari stuff, and I was using librarians, I, there was a, a guy making a program called Chameleon, which was oh, yeah. a, a multi-program. And I forget the name of the chap. He used to come to my little bedroom studio, and we used to sort of deliberate over the... Uh, over Bits and bobs, and how to uh, how, how to kind of create a librarian that was easy to use. And that was back in the day when you had to type everything in hex, you know. So it was I, I had a bit of that, but I don't. I, I remember also I had an idea for a cable tester that would just test. Uh, XLRs, jacks, MIDI leads, phantom power, all sorts of stuff, and put it in a little box, kind of what like you can buy from uh, Behringer or uh, uh, there's a, there's another company, Rolls or somebody like that. And this was years ago, and I happened to uh, share my house with an electronics engineer, and he sort of went through it with me and told me how much it was going to cost just a prototype. And I just thought, oh, well. <laughs> I spent ages. I've still got printouts of all my sort of endless ideas printed out on that sort of. on the Atari. I did it on the Atari with those, um, you know, the, the paper with the little holes down the side of it. I've got reams of the stuff.
0: I wonder if I should. Start- that's exactly what I, I meant. Ten, 25 years later now, you can buy the thing for 100 bucks. Yeah, I guess so. That's just the way it is.
1: But anyway, Klaus Schultz. <laughs> I'd try and bring it back, but that, I suppose there's not really. Uh, not only really much more to say, but do check it out, and I'm sure I'd like to... I'm going to have to put some um, Tangerine Dream listening onto my um, listening jobs because I haven't actually really checked it out they much. they still tall,
3: don't they? Yeah, I, the believe, I believe
1: oh, so, yeah. There should be, they should be on the bill with you guys, surely. There should be a sort of convergence somewhere there. Maybe you oh, could God. get some of those members to join you with your um, 80s synth hook band. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> oh it's not it's not restricted to eighty synth hooks. It's, it's it's just synth synth hooks from, generally. It's from, from the ages, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you think would be your earliest um well, your earliest hit?
3: I don't know. You're only talking to someone who's thirty nine, so <laughs> I, don't I don't know if I'd know if someone else. I'm, would, I'm trying to think 10, what there 30. might be.
1: Uh, <laughs> Dave, you're chuckling away there, I bet you know. What do you reckon the earliest pop hit? Is it gonna be popcorn? Or before that? I was
2: thinking
1: of that son of my father or something Ah, uh, like yes, the son of my father. That's that's right. That, was, that
0: sounded just like a stylophone, didn't it, that, basically? Don't know what it was. I'm going with re- Here Comes the Sun from Abbey Road. Ah, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. What did... What I do remember it? buying a single. My first Tons single
0: I ever sense. bought was...
2: Ah, OK. First single I ever bought, Bonzo Dog Doodar Band, I'm the Urban Spaceman, because I was absolutely convinced that <laughs> what what turned out
1: to be a kazoo was a synthesizer <laughs> oh how disappointing no. <laughs> i think i think years my, to find that out. i think my first one was probably depeche mode um new life or something like that i just remember whatever their first singles were you know really cheap Vin, vince clark era um which could bring us on to another um uh, interesting uh concept and um topic but i think perhaps what i'll do first is uh introduce our sponsors we'll do the sponsor there i can't think i don't know what the time is i should have looked oh yeah it's, it's time for an ad let's do an ad now um so um talk amongst yourselves for a moment and i will Oh, uh, I, I will introduce our advert this is uh Basically, Isotope are uh, letting us know about it. Break Tweaker, which is a fantastic, uh, it's not just a drum machine or a drum player, it's a drum sculpting and beat sequencing environment that blurs the line between rhythm and melody. Made in conjunction with uh, BT, as you know, Brian Transo, it's got a collection of beat presets and samples, and it's easy than ever to add modern feel to compositions. You can have these sort of multiple crossing rhythms, granular synthesis, you can manipulate audio to a molecular level and reinvent any beat by controlling pitch, rhythm, and texture at the finest resolution on the market no less and you can free yourself from traditional drum grids and create polyrhythmic beats with a unique iso rhythm that was the t- term i was looking for basically uh you really should check it out if you're into beats and i know robbie's a big fan of it and you, you can use it for all sorts of stuff uh you just need to go to isotope.com forward slash break tweaker i believe or just isotope.com you can download a 10-day demo as with all of their stuff and uh, experiment with the presets the drum samples and you know just just get in there and also load your own stuff up. Um, and, of course, we have a competition because uh, this week we're going to be giving away – no- or I, I say we, I mean Isotope, of course, because <laughs> I'm not giving away anything. I haven't got anything in to give away. But we did last week, we did a competition with um, Isotope, which is uh, becoming a – well, it is a weekly occurrence, frankly. So if you wanted to if you to win it last week, you had to tweet the hashtag BreakTweaker uh, to – at SonicNick and at Isotope. And you do need to do this on Twitter. So it's worth basically, I think it's worth joining if you haven't, even just, just to join a competition. You don't have to subscribe to anyone. You won't get spam or anything. It's actually quite a useful service as well for breaking headlines. But I'm, I'm talking about um, Isotope, aren't I? The winner from last week, who wins a copy of Break Tweaker, is called Rab, Rabahoud. And I'm not sure how I pronounce this. It's R-A-B-B-E-H-A-U-D. That's Rabahoud, I think, is how you do it. But you can win... This week as well, and what you have to do, let me just uh, bring up the page. You can win it by tweeting the hashtag granular beats to at SonicNick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, if you join up Twitter, at is kind of weird, that'll mention it. Because we're mentioned in it, we can track the tweets, and also I'll do a search for that. So that means I just get a big list of people who've uh, tweeted that, and then I pick a random number using a random randomnumber.org and select the tweet that meets those criteria. So if you want to win a copy of Isotope Break Tweaker, tweet the hashtag GranularBeats to at SonicNick and at Isotope Inc. So... That's a word from our sponsor. We thank them very much for that. And if you're in the chat room, get in there quick. In fact, because it's a random number, it doesn't. It can happen. You can either be one of the later tweeters or earlier tweeters. I know, as you had. has been wishing to win for a long time. I'm going to see. I'm going to see what we could do. I can't do anything about it. I wonder if Isotope might be able to make him an honorary winner or something. I can't promise anything, but uh, I feel bad for you as you head. I'm sure there are lots of other people out there who want to win too. Um, oh yes, this is the Brookside theme tune recreation. This is actually inter- another interesting idea. So, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Brookside is uh, or was a long running kind of soap set in. Um, Where was it? It was Merseyside. Liverpool, Liverpool, that's right. And I was listening to this, and it just sounds so much... Let's just find my mouse. Oh, there it is. It sounds so much like Vangelis, John and Vangelis. They must have just sort of heard that and gone, oh, can we have that? And this has been recreated by a chap called Krypton NZ. And uh, he's taken the uh, poster frame of the show and put all the bits in. to find out exactly what he did there um, but he obviously put the whole st- st- Yeah, this was back when Vangelis was really big but it just made me think actually, what break, what theme tunes or classics would you recreate because uh, I know Dave you sent me uh, a link to uh, a chap called P. Hicks who I think we featured on the show before because he deals with Opticons, isn't he? He's kind of an freak yeah. and he did a, um, uh, a version of Yazoo's Only You using the Pro 1 and using actual original patch uh, sheets and put it all together and it was remarkably close wasn't it
2: brilliant utterly brilliant and it's funny I kind of put it on my Facebook thing and it ended up being quite a thread I know P reasonably well and uh, he uh, yeah it's kind of surprised me how accurate it was and it was weird because I had you know as I've put on my Facebook thing I'm not a kind of ballad dude so I'd sort of written it off then. I bought that album and thought Don't Go was amazing, but nothing else had kind of really grabbed me. But it was having it without the vocals suddenly made me kind of go, This is, there's a real beauty in the simplicity of this. And, you know, there's little bits of orchestration and stuff like that. The sound is, you know, it's nothing amazing. Actually, when you put it all together, it's like, actually, this really works for me. So I was really happy to be able to kind of revisit it. We'll be talking 30 years later and go, oh, actually... That was good, I was wrong. It's interesting,
1: though, isn't it? Because, when you, like you say, when you do listen to it, I, I think I've got a bit of it we can play here. Just the stuff with kind of like the counterpoint and what have you, is actually very... It, it's, it's almost classical in the way that he's putting things together. And as far as I know, I don't think he's got any training in that department. But, it, I mean, it's... You know, it is very um, sort of naive. Let's see if I can find the... There's a bit where it all starts to... house is beheaded all this little counterpoint and stuff i mean it is very it's not dark you couldn't say it was dark in any way or moody but it, it does just work so what so dave while we have still got you what would you like to have a go at because i mean you've got plenty of synths there so you know what would you what would you like to see redone
2: actually it's funny because uh, a few years ago that uh, God, I can't even remember the name of the band. There was a big a band, a US band, who had done an album. Uh, I'll have to find, I'll have to find the name. But um, they'd done an album, and they'd used an octagon And their PR company had gone to like Radio Four and went, okay, you know, we're going to do a little piece on this. Is it the Today Show or something like that in the morning? And uh, they're going to do a piece on obsolete technology, Betamax max videotapes, octagons and stuff like that. And P said, oh, well, Dave's the guy to talk to in uk right so radio force and then obviously they condensed it down to the sort of two pretty banal minutes but as part of it he wanted me to compose some tune on the octagon and i chose the archers which i thought would be very radio four yeah so i did a kind of very soporific version of the archers which was hilarious because what i didn't realize at the is that this is all syndicated, it's a local radio and I think it was something like Radio Norwich played it and then they had a competition to guess what the tune was and it just went on like all day so whoever this band was, uh, Crash Test Dummies, that's who it was, whoever this band was ended up getting shed loads of publicity from my incredibly weird version of The Archers, so much so that they had people phone in say uh, you know suggesting what it might be, and a few people got it right, and unbeknown to me, the minute I put my phone on the following morning at you know kind of seven o'clock in the morning, I'm still in bed. the phone rings, and I'm on air with Radio Norwich, then think Alan you know, Partridge he <laughs> agreed to talk to me live on the thing is like and you're live on air, and uh, so what we wanted to know, Dave, is what was that theme tune at which point I had to say. Uh, it was the Dam Busters. I just thought I'd wind them up a bit, where and there's this brilliant pregnant pause that goes out live, and the guy's like, uh, no, "No, no, no, you're not, you're not being serious, are you?" And then of course they said that they couldn't get it, and then when I, I mentioned that it was the Archers, and he said, "No, we couldn't get it." And I did suggest that perhaps that why, that's why it was on local radio and not Radio Four. <laughs>
1: Ah, <laughs> excellent.
2: Yeah, n- nice that. Phone call first thing in the morning. Hey, you're live on radio. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, it was like, you've got 10 seconds. Are you ready? We're going to hand you over to the studio. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. And I'm not not even had my first coffee. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but if I had my time again, it would be EastEnders because EastEnders for me is... We do the BBC Three EastEnders, 10 o'clock at night, and that's mine and my missus' time to sit down and actually... Vegetate for half an hour.
1: So uh, only I've because you want it. to play those Simmons toms.
3: <laughs>
1: this is all very, uh, Rich. This is all very UK centric. Uh, if you theme tune, uh, theme tune, you could recreate on uh, a synthesizer. Is there, is there something you have a sneaking desire to uh, to recreate just for your own pleasure, obviously? Or maybe Niall's got a plan, a, a planned covers album of uh, famous TV, <laughs> resynthesized TV theme tunes. Although I doubt it. Oh, I think you might be muted. Uh, no. I was um, muted. So, my fault. I do, I do beg
0: your pardon. And I, I often am. Um, I've done a bunch of them, and some of them are commercially available. And one of them that I just pasted into the chat room was the remake of the Axel Foley theme for the movie Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, be kind. It's a good, you know, it's a living. It was 1994. And uh, we, you know, I've done that. I've done things that are less synth focused than that. I'm going to have to bring this up, Rich. You understand that. Paste in the URL.
1: Oh, yeah. There he is, Mr. Murphy. (laughs) Ah, thank you. That, that, I mean, but that, those things are always very much of their time, aren't they? I mean, that's what that's what that's what the sound palette is was uh, of that time. So, um, like, I could talk. Oh, where is Rich? So, Oh here. Yeah. So, so you've done them. I, I remember we got asked to do a remix of um, Police Camera Action or something like that. One of the one of the kind of um, one of those. I can't remember which one it was, and I, I didn't do it. Uh, I think it was it the bill or something, which is in in like fifteen eight or something. So it wouldn't have really worked that way. Robert, you must, as a sort of pop producer, you must be pitched sort of fairly regularly with harebrained remix ideas, or at least perhaps not so much now. It's not quite so much in vogue, is it? But
3: uh, no. I have done in the past. But I, if I had to recreate a theme tune from the eighties, I'd do I'd do Airwolf.
1: Airwolf. Oh, I'm going to have to find that now. <laughs> Airwolf theme tune. Oh, right. Is that William Shatner? <laughs>
2: John, no. Jan Michael Vincent.
1: There okay. you go. Hold on, go hold on. on. Airwolf theme. Okay, I'm going to play this. Let's see. I'm guessing this is a I guess. Yeah, there might be a helicopter aspect to it. <laughs> awesome. That sounds like a sample cell French horn there, right there. <laughs> Jesus. I, yeah. You couldn't do any worse. I'm pretty sure there Robbie. I'm sure you could probably yeah. uh, improve I, that. It's a very much I wonder who did the theme change to that actually. I didn't Did uh,
3: um didn't um the crazy frog. He 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 bastardized old um Axel Axel left, didn't he? Oh yeah, that's right. A couple of years ago.
1: Crazy Frog, yeah. of course. I'm not I'm actually not going to play that. Crazy Frog was uh <laughs> it was like a ringtone. It was yeah, the first uh, ringtone exactly. hit and it was a frog And it was like, I just, I can't, I can't even bring myself to say it. It was, uh, yeah. But they made a fortune, didn't they? They did. Probably, yeah. That would have been a project that I guess would have been quite nice to remain anonymous with, apart from uh, the bank account details in which they could
3: pay your royalties into. (laughs) That would be an awesome. Crockett's theme, that's another good one, isn't it? That would have been nice From Miami Vice.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough one to do. Yeah, is it? Well, because no. Jan Hammer is such a virtuoso player. Ah, that cool. could cop that melody with anything like the finesse he had it at
3: would be a major challenge, in my view.
0: So he did he, that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Jan Hammer. He's a keytar master, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he recorded uh, Jimi Hendrix songs on that really? with, an, with a six-voice Oberheim uh, system wow, behind wow. him.
1: I'd like to That's see that end. album cover. Anyone know what that album was called? Maybe we can give that one into the chat room for a bit of research. There you go. That's your homework for the afternoon. I can get that for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can
0: get that for you in a second.
1: Excellent. Oh, well, this is this uh, this is really rather a, a, a trip down memory lane, as it were. But well, I mean, the album was called seriously, you get yourself The what it was called what? Hammer. Hammer here we go stop hammer time <laughs> yeah no don't hold on a second uh, <laughs> there you go <laughs> let me see uh, yeah I'm just going to try and find it What? Well, uh, Jan Hammer
3: yeah I just pasted it into the chat room
0: ah okay
3: what happened to Jan Hammer
0: he's um I think still living comfortably in upstate New York but I'm not oh, royalties member. oh look at that
3: oh yeah, he had that crazy looking keytar didn't he weird thing
0: the probe it was called yeah, that's how Roger, <laughs> Roger Powell worked have <laughs> it.
1: Um, how un-PC is that?
0: <laughs> yeah, the, good, the solo he plays is insane. He gets harmonic feedback and stuff like that. He's playing through Marsh Lamps. Let's see if I can find it's, it. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, there we go.
1: Good lord. Well, there we go. There's a whole lot of stuff for you to listen to now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was somebody in the chat room called YouTube Police. I hope that hasn't, actually isn't really them, because that would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get us <laughs> last like, week. It, hey, I, I'm on the run from the YouTube Police. They're not going to get me again. Um, uh, there must be another topic we can go to. Um, Oh, yeah, Brookside. Oh, yeah, and uh, that that was PX. Ah, yes, this was an interesting one, actually. And this isn't meant to be a kind of, um, you know, uh, let's get at, but uh, let me just see if I can find the story. Uh, I didn't have a link up for it. I think I just need to put this over here. This is um, apparently this year, or certainly from now on, uh, this is um, 40 years of Yamaha synthesizers. which is astonishing really I mean it's kind of I I mean that's that's uh, quite a heritage there because I mean they've they've done some amazing stuff but I was really surprised to see that basically they're just gonna so far at least I mean there may be more obviously but uh, so we got a new Motif XF limited edition with a different colour on it which kind of and and the the, the comments in the news story are not kind but it does seem like a little bit thoughtless perhaps just to sort of Use that and not not perhaps come up with something have have a bit more planning in place to come up with something really special as everybody else is you know I mean okay, Roland are going with their new stuff there's all sorts of other things in the pipeline you know Novation celebrated 21 years with uh, the Base Station two you know there's kind of it just feels like a, a bit underwhelming and I don't know because uh, there are some great Yamaha sims I mean Rich uh, you probably have played a, a bunch of them have you got any Yam- any analog Yamaha synthesizers in your collection
0: at this present time or have had nothing here now but i've used a whole range of their stuff over the years um and i remember fondly the sy1 and sy2 which were their first two um yeah. one, one thing in particular about i'm not sure about the one but i know the two enabled you to uh run your finger back and forth on the key in order to init- to play vibrato yes it was a sort of aftertouch type uh, type thing but For- it worked side to side ah it's like a rocking motion yeah, and it actually uh, vibratoed at the speed your hand was moving. It wasn't just kicking in an LFO at a fixed rate. Wow, that's neat. Was that polyphonic as well? No, ah. no, it was a monophonic. It was a monophonic synth. Um, I've used tons of their stuff, and I was deeply, you yeah. know, imbued in FM gear at one point. Um, yeah. Later on, uh, I worked on an album with Eddie Jobson that was done almost entirely on a CS80. So I had quite a bit of exposure to that, although I didn't end up playing it very much. Um, Used a CS50 and a CS60 in productions I did, played Yamaha organs from time to time, their electric pianos. I've got a whole uh, folder on my Facebook page of Yamaha lit literature <laughs> from back then. It's true. Excellent. It's true. You can actually, uh, you know, plunder the archives and see what the history of the whole thing is. But um, And then in more recent times, they've had other clever devices. I've never particularly loved using their DAWs. Somehow, architecturally, they don't run intuitive with me. Um but they all work great. Can do everything you need. Oh, them the workstations, to do. I know, right? Yeah, and I know tons of people who use them, love them, and get magnificent results. So it's purely a personal. Taste and for are exactly. Anybody. I mean, they're massive in uh,
1: in the states. I mean, the Motif workstations. You know, that whole kind of being on TV, being uh, on stage, and and playing a Motif, and also the the, the really big in R and B and in the church kind of community is massive. That which I I guess is well, why the Motif
0: range is so strong, right? And this white one is going to be very popular in the R&B world. I think they will sell them there because they'll, it'll look really cool and distinctive on stage. And those guys use this thing quite a bit. And, and friends of mine do. I, people I've played with on stage do. It's a really great product. It makes great sounds. It's got tons of them. And once you learn to get around the thing, it's really, really versatile and quick.
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think to some degree, they kind of suffered from having too much in there too early. Because, I mean, the, the Mox range and the Mox F that we've just... The synth engine in it is mind-blowing, you know, up to eight oscillators. I mean, and that is, like, really extensive. It's just, I guess, that that all came in, you know, they they, they innovated early within the range. And now we're not really getting... The benefit of of any new stuff, and it just feels like you know maybe perception is behind the curve rather than the actuality. Dave, have you got any uh, Yamaha synth in your collection? Well, you know you got the CS80, haven't you? But anything else? Uh,
2: the thirty, the CS30. Uh, which is a great machine. They're great, uh, yeah. Kind of amazing um, modulation routings, and the fact that you can bring in oscillator VCO one back in and mod- Anyway, there's all sorts of mad. In fact, when I said it, first of all, I was like the designer of this synth must have been a lunatic, because it is quite mental. A lot of it is quite mental, but it's a beautiful thing. Uh Same VCOs as the 80. Uh We've got a 60 and 80. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think we've got... Oh, I've got a... Uh, oh, no, that's not... I did stuff on... I did some styles and stuff, I think, for the... Was it the RM1X and stuff like that? But yeah, for me, that, the last proper yamaha synth of any interest to me was probably the fs1r that was it after that i don't know it just kind of got all very homogenized and i've no interest in this white thing whatsoever i'm sure it would do great for them but it's not not something i'd even look at
1: yeah it's funny though isn't it? i've got a um oops that's the wrong camera i've got
2: a 15, a
1: 15 here oh which yeah. sounds well, like it's got a loose a loose screw in it which has got that Rattling around there, which has got that kind of dual filter that you so you can do the is it the dual mode filter? So you have got a high pass and a band pass or something, and you can get that. You can do the um, Blade Runner thing, which is always a good test of any synthesizer. So you
3: can do that. Rob, you got any Yamaha stuff? Um, I haven't, but I remember back in the day when after I got my Casio MT sixty eight, my next little visit to Dixon's was to buy a Yamaha CSO one.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, the little monophonic beautiful,
3: synth. beautiful synth. Oh, and, and I, you know, and years later, I I left it some at somebody's house. Well, they're so I small, you could practically
1: it leave it down the back of the sofa, was it?
3: And they're like going for like 400 quid now, and I really, I had such a great pulse width sound on it. And uh. I had the little drum machine that went with it. There was like a tiny little drum oh, why, machine on the CSO1, and a little mini mixer as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so I remember that little range, and they it went yeah. with the uh, Yamaha MTX4 track as well, didn't it? It was all in the same livery.
3: Yeah, that's right. It was, it was great, and I, I haven't had much Yamaha over the years. I mean, I had a DX. Funny thing was, I remember as a kid, when I was about 11... When I when all those DX things came out, and I used to lust after the catalogues, you know, I used to write letters to Yamaha. I used to get very industrious and make make these gear suggestions. So I remember going, what I would like is one of these RX eleven drum machines, and a DX seven, and a sequencer, all in this one unit. And I used to send them <laughs> little pictures of things I'd like spliced together. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like to think I was responsible for the workstation. The
1: <laughs>
3: workstation.
1: Right. You know that the workstation. My yeah. idea. That was my idea. Was I, hope you, I hope you sent those letters registered. Did you send them registered post? Because you might have um, a case there, Robbie.
3: <laughs> I don't know, but um, I never, I never, I never suggested speakers.
1: No, I know how you feel about speakers in a in a. In a but, uh, yes,
3: so one did have his little speaker, so you know, fair
1: enough. Ah, that's true. Yeah. Some great. Actually, the other one that was really useful, and I know this is probably not all that fat, and I might have talked about it before, was the DJX range. I don't know if you remember those, that I've got that in the box somewhere. It was like a little kind of, it was just full of sam- like eight bit samples of scratching and stuff. But it had tons and tons and tons of drum sounds in it. And I remember um, they were really crunchy, and you could filter them and EQ them, and it had all this sort of real time performance stuff. And they were actually really, actually quite usable. I remember I sampled all of them and put them in the ESX instruments, and then used them uh, on the. S- First or second rap album, all over it. There's tons of them everywhere. And they're just because they're, they're quite unusual sounding. You know, they've just got a certain something about them. But, uh, and I suppose, yeah, the chat room says, uh, Tenorion was fun. I suppose that's pretty innovative for its time as well. Although it was one of those things that was like a uh, solution looking for a problem. But, um,. Still, you know, I mean, you've got Launchpad. It influenced that whole kind of moving to the grid, and it was a really big deal for Yamaha. I mean, would it be fair to say that was probably the last really big technology innovation in terms of instruments from Yamaha? I mean, not not in terms of voicing, perhaps, but certainly in UI. Oh, Rich, you're looking
0: puzzled. you th- Yeah, maybe and- so. I'm thinking maybe so. I, I just I can't think of one. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And I know that um, it just feels That's like, you know... Pretty- that's pretty big, though. I mean, that's a very interesting interface. I know a lot of people were really excited about it when it came out. I don't know a lot of people who did a lot of work with I it did. that ended up...
3: Did, did, did you? you?
0: you?
3: Mm, yeah. I, I did one of the first, you know, the original, the proper aluminum Tenorions. I did a lot of stuff with it. I have connected yeah. it up and did all sorts of sort of Reiki and kind of ambient stuff with it. I loved it. That huh. was just a little bit. It was. It was. It, it was like you say, like an instrument. They thought, sod it. We'll just make an instrument that's totally quality. You know, and we'll make it out of lovely milled aluminium, and we'll do it all properly. Yeah. It was, it was slightly flawed, but I mean, it wasn't. I remember going to the launch in London. I was very excited by it at the time.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? That I, I, I'm. Uh... I think, if I remember correctly, they were just sort of stuffed by the introduction of the iPad, weren't they, really? Because the, I think the Tenorion came out, and then iPad, didn't iPad come out the same year? And, there, and music apps, as we know, kind of made quite a big uh, inroads into into that. And and I think the Tenorion ended up being more expensive than an iPad. So that's, I, if, I'm, I may be wrong, but I think it was, that's what kind of did for them a little bit on that. I mean, it, it was never going to be a mass consumption instrument, of course, but I, I don't think it helped perhaps
3: but they brought out the second one didn't they which was white but the the floor of the second one was it only had it only had the leds on one side so you know you had artists like um little boots who were using the Tenorion and it was a real visual thing on stage because you could see all the lights from the back yeah. but it, the white one was just like it was like you're doing your emails again
1: yeah i suppose the thing about that is it's probably they were trying to cut the cost down weren't because i mean yeah. that sort of thing adds what was that there was more than 64 wasn't it was it uh one hundred and twenty-eight buttons. Yeah, yeah. It's quite, so, yeah. I think it was sixteen by sixteen, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it right, was. Yeah. yeah, that's what is that? One hundred and twenty-eight. Hold on, i me mass. Yes, something like that, isn't it? Uh, I, pass anybody <laughs> um so what do you think what what i mean what do you think would be an advisable move for a company in Yamaha's position to kind of bring out i mean because there's there's this temptation isn't there to kind of go into into legacy territory and go right let's reissue you know something along the lines of the CS80 something with the spirit of it and it's very hard to get that kind of thing right but i mean what if you were being asked to advise them what do you think uh what 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 would you suggest yeah. Anyone care to go first there I can keep I can leave your name blanked out if you don't feel <laughs> uh, I mean any company i suppose dave I mean if they're going if you're going if you've got to kind of think about your parts i mean this is the thing that Roland have just done and you know it's difficult of course you're going to get flack for it for a certain amount of things. it's got to be a very difficult thing to do to do that i mean but what what do you think would work for for someone like Yamaha? is do, you know are we cocooned in our little bubble of analog and really if they made like i don't know let's say a polysynth would it actually sell anyway, or would everybody? Uh, but I mean, there's all that kind of. It's the the notion of the. What do they call it? The um, is it the, the? Oh gosh, when you produce one one thing that kind of drips down to the rest of the brand, I forgot what it's called. It's like a totem or a flagpole or something like Flagship. that. Flagship, sort of. Yeah. What do you think? What do you
2: think would be a good? It's tricky, isn't it? Because actually, I don't. I don't think it matters. You know, if they if they decided they were going to reissue the CSA, there would always be a, like a. Whole load of people going, ah, but it's not going to be anything like the original, and blah blah blah. And I think the Roland stuff is starting to kind of change that view a little bit. I think people are just kind of going, and also prices. You know, a decent CS80 in the UK, you're looking at, you know, at least ten thousand upwards. So I think, yeah, I don't know. There's always, I don't know. It's just weird. There's always people who will moan and moan and moan that nothing is like the original thing, even if you've got six of exactly the same thing in front of you. They'll always find. Oh, that one's the best one or somebody else will think that one's the best one and I don't know I think you're kind of stuck between a rock and hard place 99% of times because you're always you're just always going to get grief so whilst I'd love to see them do some something that paid homage to the parts and I really do like the little sy ones and twos the sy two was the only other synth apart from the 2500 that was on close encounters a bit of trivia there.
1: Ah, okay. Yep. Um,
2: the the I Monster guys use that a lot and I've kind of I did really sort of fall in love with that one when, when we started playing it. It's really simple. One of my favorite little synths is the little Art Pro soloist because it's just simple and it's just got a great sound. So I'd love to see a company do something really nice and simple. And it's weird because most of the kind of highbrow, high-profile musos that I speak to, that's what they love. They just like something really simple that makes a great sound that doesn't take too much of their time away. So, you know, maybe redoing a CSAE isn't the right thing to do. Maybe just kind of do something nice and simple and just sounds good,
3: really good. Do you think they're interested in it, though? Do you think they're really interested in a company like Yamaha? I mean, what what do you think synth really equates for, for a company like that? I mean, they make so many other musical instruments that are probably so much more mass market it's really probably low on their priority list to do Yeah, I mean, I they,
1: they probably but, sell yeah. more silent trumpets than they do synthesizers, yeah, don't yeah, they, so. It's like,
3: yeah, well, it's, you, it's, you, just, you just wonder whether... I don't really view them like a synthesizer company anymore at all. No. I, no. I haven't done for a long time.
1: But, so, I mean, yeah. there's so many directions. I mean, you know, they've got a couple of directions they can go in, haven't they? I mean, they've got the AWM2 engine, which is actually really, really powerful. And, and to be fair, in terms of what... They could get out of it. They can re. They they can They could probably rewrap that and re-present it in a way that was made it more immediate and a, and a lower cost. That did you know? Because there's all sorts of filter mod. I mean, there's an incredible amount of power in it. But then there's also got this massive legacy of FM, which I mean, I'm sure there must be a boff in there somewhere who could come up with a more knob twiddly kind of hands-on way of working with FM. I don't know, because that seems to be a challenge that uh, nobody's managed to kind of rise to just yet. And, and yet the the range of sounds you can get from FM is enormous. I mean, admittedly, a lot of the ones in between are completely unlistable and useless, but there must be a way of designing interface or, or algorithms that enable the user to kind of move between sounds. It just, it just seems like there's got to be something there with that legacy. And that presumably... FM, I mean, FM was probably, in the DX7, presumably that was DSP, wasn't it? I don't know whether it was or not. I hadn't
0: really thought about it.
2: I'm sorry, I'm, sure. I'm trying to find you a link.
0: Ah, okay. It's, I'm not sure. Sorry. But Native Instruments has done very,
3: very good emulations of Yamaha yeah. FM World. You can and load the with, pre- with that, Pardon me, Robbie? You can load, you can even load all your old FM libraries directly into it. So yes, yeah, it's,
0: it's very good. yeah. yeah.
3: I'm just and gonna there's so much in
0: there. You can just sit there and browse for days and tweak. They have a couple of tweakable controls on each of their thing at the top level before you have to dig. And uh, when I want FM, I find I have no trouble getting it from there.
1: I suppose that's the thing. Maybe I haven't discovered it because FM was one of the first... One of one of the well, one of the reasons why we ended up with kind of banks and banks and banks of patches because nobody could program them apart from a very small number of people. Effectively, you know, I mean, it was hard to work on in terms of sounds, right? I mean, there were librarians and what have you. So maybe so. Didn't somebody
3: Mm -hmm. once make a big controller which was almost the size of a DX7, which had loads of knobs on?
2: Doing DX7
1: editor, yeah, hardware. I think I do remember. It's a very, it's a great rarity, isn't it?
2: Was it a German company? Uh, Yes, it was. I can't remember who it was now. I've just sent you a link to the greatest ever CSO1 solo. Ever. It's a guy, Jean-Philippe Reichel. Ah, okay. All right. Who is absolutely stunning. If you don't do it now, do it in the show notes. Where have you
1: sent it? Sorry, because I'm not monitoring this guy. I sent
2: it on talk four. Ah,
1: right, okay. I'm not going to get that because it's Ah, okay. It's not I'm not connected to those if you see what I mean. You're just disembodied heads on the on, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, incident, incidentally Rich uh, this is probably your first time of the multi-view. Uh, do you find this more um, I, I've spoke to this before but is this more of a it's more of an interactive experience because you can see what everybody's doing rather than just uh, yourself when you're talking I
0: suppose It's a combination of a more interactive experience and a more uh, self-conscious experience uh. <laughs> <laughs> A delicate balance between those two things
1: Ah uh, okay i got you Well I'll uh, I, I, Still, still stuff to do um i'm just seeing if i've got if you email it to me dave then i can um i, I can maybe play that it you right oh dx oh hold on dx7 programmer uh here we go this is uh, pop in the chat room very
3: kindly oh yelling house that's it
0: yes
1: oh look at this hold on i'm so presumably this was all done with oh wow yeah that's
3: oh, it that's
1: the wow. beast wow i never let's just get that as Jesus
3: Christ. <laughs> it was, like, massive. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, that's just so vast, isn't it? It's bigger than the actual synth. I didn't really remember that. It makes wow. it like a sort of a modular, doesn't it? it, it does. of, like...
1: That is just fantastic. Wow. Yes. I wonder if it made it actually any more intuitive to edit because i mean i i can't see what any of those say and i presume and this is the thing when the, the, my very limited experience of editing any sort of fm stuff is it's so far away from any experience i've got of of analog synthesis apart from when you get into the envelopes that the tonality and stuff is just is so hit and miss i mean i know nothing about it whatsoever dave aren't you tempted to uh, get stuck into a bit of fm Solid bass, log drum. Yeah, I mean, I did all
2: those classic patches. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
2: Jim, I did do quite a bit of FM stuff back in the day, but it was a bit of a headache. I mean, it's it's actually not that difficult once you get your head around it, but it's things like the way the operators are stacked to create those algorithms. That's that was the kind of once you got the rest of it, that was the bit that you would always throw you because you kind of get so far and then you tweak that and it just like throw everything into
3: mad mode.
1: Are you playing some FM synth? Uh, FM yeah, no, there's
3: a great little sort of FM engine on the um, OP1. You can get all sorts of crazy stuff out of it. Well, there you go. It's there's a four, good reason. Four knobs. Four knobs to change. What What can possibly go wrong?
1: <laughs> That's the sort of thing I'm talking about, you see. That's what we need is, uh, yeah. is that kind of thing.
3: Yeah.
0: I still use FM in productions when I want something that presents differently in the mid-range than something analog or something traditional. And quite often I'll distort it and process it in some way. And you get very different results in the way it presents mid-range than you do using almost any kind of analog or simulated analog source.
1: Oh, really? So uh, um, how would you, what, so what, what would you just, what, what kind of purpose, you know, what kind of sound would that be? Would that be a polyphonic sound? Or, I mean, what, what co-
0: yeah, it could be a polyphonic sound. Um, it could be a melodic sound, you know, monophonic melodic sound. But quite often, like I say, I'll take some source and distort it to some extent because of the way the midrange hits the distortion. It kind of accentuates that quality, which makes it different from all that other stuff you've got laying around in your track, and it and it allows you to make it stick out in a cool way without making it loud. Ah, and you use uh, FM8 for that? Is that where where you go for that? The These that's... days, yeah. But I used to use FM7, and I'll use you know whatever. But the 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 FM method of that Yamaha E. FM presentation, like I said, has a very unique signature in the mid-range. It also does certain other things like bell, uh, clangorous stuff, and uh, sharp attack stuff, percussive attack stuff. There are certain things it does particularly well. And And when I need any of those things, I Try to use it. Ah, well, of course, <laughs> who
1: can forget electric piano or the jazz guitar? <laughs> yeah. But it's actually um,
3: nowadays it's it's the secret, well, not so secret weapon of pretty much all the dubstep producers. FM8 is like one of the main synths oh, everybody cool. uses. Oh, right, for is, sort of subtones or just a- yeah, all sorts of crazy sort of warped out <clears throat> basses and things. It's um, I've done some. We've done some work with a guy called AU5, and he does some amazing work using the FM8.
1: Programming his own stuff up,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, like really, really phenomenal sounds. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Oh, so even we... the
3: young kids are into it now.
1: <laughs> even the the kids. Hold on. I'm... Oh, wait a minute. I need to get onto YouTube here. I, I can see that here's a CSO a CSO one. It's solo the best Whoa. solo ever. Yeah. Let's find that. Let's just have a call. Oh, he's got the breath controller as well.
3: Oh, Uh-oh. yeah.
1: Oh. That sounds very much like that uh, wally badarou sound of uh, from the from the grace jones period. You know the uh, island life stuff. Oh
0: yeah, articulate.
1: I could get lost there. Maybe I'll play out with that, and then um, <clears throat> then we can really get busted. Yeah,
3: oh, what's that? Paul
1: Midon and Richard Richard Bonar. Douala Project, state of mind. Oh, now I've got... Um, what's happened here? I've lost me. These me. The guy,
2: Jean-Philippe Reichel, was a French guy. He's blind.
1: I was going to say, he looked like he might be blind, but I didn't... Um, I wasn't sure, because he wasn't looking at his hands, and I thought, God, that's articulate. Really
3: good. That was the... Uh, that was a CSO1 Mark 1, wasn't it? Because the O2 had the full resonance slider and a different 24 dB filter, wasn't it? Get yeah.
1: in, Robbie. I must blush. Or was the other way around? Oh, Dave, I think you were out-synthed there. I have to say. Right. No, 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 no. no,
2: no. A, the the grey was the 12 dB filter, and the black that's was it, the 12, that's 12 it. dB yeah. filter.
1: Perfect. Uh, yeah. Cool. Synth- Good work. Ah, oh, that's just awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm very pleased for you both. That deserves some kind of T-shirt. But the CSO1, yeah, we talked about breath controllers before of there, and there's just definitely a certain something. In fact, um, we've got an interview, which we haven't published yet, actually, uh, with uh, Will Gregory and the Moog Orchestra, and uh, two of the players are playing um, WX1, uh, you know, the Wii Wii, EV. I don't know what they're called. They're basically saxophone fingering, and you can play, and, and the expression is amazing on those things. Really, really amazing.
3: Um, Howard's. Howard's really great with the um, breath controller with his VL one. I mean, that was a good synth. The, the, you know, that was quite an interesting synth when it came out. But he's, he can do some great stuff with that. He just says he always feels a right idiot doing it.
1: I think there's an aspect of um, if you play a lot, a lot with it. I, all I've just got this image of all the you know because when you use any kind of mouthpiece thing, there's a lot of. Spittle involved, you know, and it has yeah. to go somewhere. And I've just got this notion of this sort of CSO one having to be sort of emptied out with the, like like the, the brass <laughs> valve at the <laughs> end, of the, <laughs> at the end <laughs> of the gig. That's why they're battery powered, right? So so there's no <laughs> no lasting damage to any anybody, um, or perhaps not. Um, where, there was something else here. There's another topic. Ah, yes, the Ploytech. Now this was kind of interesting. I've got this. Oh God, I, where is it? Uh, it's not there. Blimey. I'm I'm really uh, I've got too many windows open. Everything's going wrong. Here we go. This is the uh this was actually I I was posted as a summer nam story, which probably is not what they desire. But this the the little PloyTech um M something squared, I don't know what it's called, has yeah. got a new firmware update that allows it to do uh vocal uh formants. Uh, I think I should be able to play a bit of this. Let's have a listen and see if it'll <laughs> This is a track made
0: uh, specifically.
1: This thing's made with this ploy and it, I know it's very sort of glitchy and very um uh thick sort of, sort of, sort of tunes or what honey? This thing's 77 euros and is MIDI powered. We've talked about it before. There we go. What I'm amazed about, really, what I'm amazed about more than anything else, is this tiny little 77 euro thing is getting firmware updates, you know, and it's sort of continually being developed. I just think that's absolutely awesome awesome in many ways and i and i think uh, this uh, you, you've got one haven't you robbie because didn't you do yeah. did
3: you did some tracks with it yeah I, we did a sushi friday track specially for them using it where all the sounds were from like were from it it's it's a fun little thing are you um, officially a ploytech
1: uh, endorsed artist then <laughs> well
3: I, I guess so yeah i mean it's um it's it's yeah it's you can get some really good sort of sid kind of that kind of chip tone kind of sounds out of it Some really gnarly stuff. But um, the editor's just a little bit... Well, I know that... I think they've got a new editor coming. The the original editor was a little bit kind of PC-looking. It was a little bit hard to look at it for any period of time. But um, it's... um, Yeah, it's a fun little synth. Uh, Here we go. There's a shot of... uh, That looks like...
1: Is that the editor?
3: That's not what it was when we we used it a couple of months back. So that looks a bit... um, That looks much better.
1: Two oscillators, seven waveforms, thirty-two yep. presets, thirty-two user presets. Fantastic little like thing. It looks
3: like a white thing with text when you when I want to use it. <laughs> That's
1: not what you want, is it? Yeah, I know how you are with uh, with with yeah. You, know, you don't want to be spending hours doing user banks for PloyTech. Funny little thing though. I mean, I like the idea of it and the fact that it takes its power from MIDI is somehow astonishing. I don't know how Nerf they managed to engineer that. But it's uh, a
3: shame that the, the the control you've got you've got USB on it as well, but you can't control you can't use the usb to do the midi connection Ah. so you've got to have the midi connection and you've got to have like a little phono output and you've got to have the usb right all three connections are to it to do this one to do the job
1: (laughs) ah so it's not quite as elegant as uh i suppose once you've got the patches though you can then just play it on the end of a midi cable right
3: yeah that's right yeah
1: well that's something kind of fun um yeah and uh, at the other end of the scale, I think Dave, you um, you found this one. Let me see if I can find it. I thought I put it. Uh, was it there? Hold on a second. This was the. Uh, oh no! I'm just trying to. Now I'm now I'm lost. This is what comes when you don't uh, don't do enough prep, which is I'm clearly guilty of. Oh, and I haven't even switched to my own camera. Uh, let me have a look here. Wait, there's a. Uh, oh, where is it? This is the Fairchild that's. Uh, on um, on eBay in the UK. It's just oh, mind-blowing, yes. isn't it? this I need
3: Grant, so stupid, isn't it?
1: Here we go, yeah. Let me see if I can find it. I thought I had it, but I must have shut the window. This is the... Uh, for those of you who haven't seen, the Fairchild used to be the sort of holy grail of, uh, of compressors, and, uh, you know, for the sort of 50s sound. It's that kind of classic sound of, I guess, the Sinatra era. And 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 onwards. And uh, I remember there was a studio in Mole, in Bath, that had one. Uh, this is the stereo one. It's got a great sound. And I know um, this one <laughs> If we just shut this, this one is currently uh, accepting offers in the region of thirty thousand quid, which I'm guessing at current <laughs> at current prices is about what would that about be in 30, dollars? About fifty five thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah.
3: So Rich. about twenty five Universal Audio. <laughs> quad cards or something octo cards
1: yeah and versions of the plug-in In fact we did a we did a review uh, well we didn't uh tosh one of our reviews did a review of the fairchild limiter collection and it yeah. sounded bloody great because they brought this new it version does. out because there's always been one on the uad platform but there's a new one out which is they've, they've they've expended extra dsp on emulating the actual sort of power supply aspects and the transformers you know they've really gone to town on it rich you were you were saying that have you used that
0: yes And it's actually even further than that. They've gone beyond the controls accessible to the user on the original to actually build on the thing as a concept, as people have also done with some of the Poltec emulations now. And, uh, yeah, it sounds pretty darn magnificent, that thing. That's a pretty great plug-in.
1: Yeah, and in, to be, I mean, frankly, on a day like today, if we add one of those in here, the temperature would be about sort of <laughs> 10 degrees higher because they are massive with enormous uh, power supplies. I wonder if there's a picture of the insides of it. They might, oh, yeah, here we go. Look, this is just mind-blowing. So that's, uh, yeah, this, we're, we're talking these kind of chunks of
0: huge chunks of kind of <laughs> valves. Do you notice where that was made? This one. Uh, Yeah, on that plate. Long Island City, New York. Long Island. Oh, cool. And Fairchild used to uh, also do production out in Farmingdale, Long Island, which is right near where I grew up and was born. Um, And used to do military aircraft projects as well. It was a huge employer on Long Island. And uh, yeah, this stuff, that's where this stuff is from. I know it's all well known because it was used at Abbey Road, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is... It was designed in the U.S. and made in New York. It's yeah. Its original purpose was to because
1: uh, when they were cutting vinyl, I mean the, cutting the acetates as well, because they used to, you know, the, anything any overs were seriously problematic, and you could you could do damage to the cutting heads and all sorts of things. So this was the last thing in the chain, as far as I recall, before it hit the vinyl, so that you couldn't break break it. And they've got the brilliant that brilliant thing. And, and as far as I know, I mean this must have been the first incident where you can take the the mid and the sides and treat them differently so you can bring things wider and that, which is really advice I don't know if that's a mod or what but that's fantastic stuff it really does sound good do you get to use what you use that have you used the real thing hot to the touch I'd imagine
0: I've been in a room where the real thing was being used but it wasn't me operating it
1: it brings it brings to the, uh, the to mind that uh, fabulous phrase waxing hotty as uh, as you say when you're <laughs> <laughs> it's an old fashioned way of uh, of making Making a chew I wonder who who said that first. It must be. It sounds like somebody like Spike Lee or somebody like that. You know, perhaps might have said it. And every
0: every time you say that, it takes me straight to the tanning salon.
1: <laughs> oh, there's that. In fact, I wonder if there I wonder if there's that. That's, there should be. Um, there should be a tanning salon in the in Bath called Waxing a Hottie. Perhaps they they will go. be. There you go. You can have that for nothing if you're watching this. Uh, if you're just a random <laughs> YouTube watcher, who happens to strong upon this, you've probably and you've made it this far into the show, which I know is unlikely. No. You can and, and you happen to be thinking about opening a tanning salon. You can have waxing a hottie on me. Um, right, I think that's probably it for this week. So thanks ever so much for everybody. I know it's been hot. where I'm I don't know where it is. is it hot where you are, Rich, or is it
0: still still fairly temperate? No, this is. Uh, we are now in the dog days of summer, and it is hot and quite often humid. And I think. So line of thunderstorms coming through later today which we could sort of desperately use now after a few days of building heat and humidity but that's it's summertime good, that's what we expect well
1: good luck with that and good luck with uh, whatever it is you're on to next no doubt uh, globe trotting or waxing hotties it doesn't really matter i'm sure you'll be equally adept at both of them
0: <laughs> thank you uh
1: and also we'll say thank you very much to dave spears for joining us as well uh, thank you and thank you for your extra links to to pep up the show I think I might play out with a bit of uh, that Yazoo from uh, P Hicks no it wasn't Yazoo yes it was ah, it, it is no, the other, one, I don't do either
2: one but that solo is pretty monstrous put the link oh yes the
1: I'll do the solo that's it oh I might have shot it now and Hold if on. anybody's
2: giving me some money for that Fairchild. I'll be starting a kickstarter campaign a kickstarter cool. a grovel star campaign
1: kickstarter buy me a Fairchild. <laughs> You don't want it in there, though, Dave, because it'll just be too hot. Then you'll have to be, the next Kickstarter will I will be, I really need an air
3: conditioning unit.
1: And then the next cool. one will be, I really need some help with the electricity bills to pay for my
2: Fairchild and my
1: electricity. Oh, really <laughs> I really
3: need to fix all these synths that have broken down. Yeah. Yeah, because of the heat. <laughs> That's but, right. hey,
2: look on the bright side. It might be 20 grand, but at least Apple ain't going to come along and screw it up. 30 grand? 30 grand.
1: Yeah. Hey, Do you think it'll have a lightning connector for that sort of money?
3: Oh no! Let's not go that. Oh. Okay, let's not. We can't it for that, don't we?
1: Yeah. Anyway, Robbie, as well. Thank you for joining us, and I hope now you can turn your air conditioning on and uh, and cool down a bit, and yeah. carry on mixing in your vest or yeah. whatever your vest. chosen attire vest. is. Well, I don't know. It just seems I've like, never won a vest in my life. I mean, oh, well, now you should start. Your mixes may may change for the better. Well, like you never a string
3: know. String vest, yeah. Like perhaps a wife beater, as they call it, don't they? Yeah. Those Classic look. That's right.
1: Anyway, Robbie, there in Robot <laughs> Studios as well. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll be back next time for um, another show. In the meantime, I'm going to play about out with a bit more of uh, this chat playing the CSO one in a beautiful uh, style. So thank you very much, everybody. Uh, that's it for this week, and thank you to the chat room. Oh, I nearly forgot. No, I'm not going to say goodbye yes yet because I just want to reinforce the uh, competition. So yes, the competition, of course, win Isotech Brake Tweaker. Uh tweet the hashtag granular beats to at SonicNick and at Isotope Inc. And we will pick a new winner for uh for next week. In fact, uh, and if you didn't hear it, the winner for last week is called Rabba uh, R-A-B-B-E-H-A-U-D. And if anyone knows him, get him to get in touch, and we'll um we'll get the Isotope Fairy to bestow her gifts upon him. Right, um, and anyway, here we go. Let's carry on with the playout. <laughs>
0: Oh,
3: it's
1: has all funky now. <laughs>